0: Hello, and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast by Jim Privett. We hope you enjoy listening to
1: it. Mighty God, mighty God, we come before you, we gather around your name, Jesus, and we worship you this morning. You are healer, you are shelter, you're a reconciler, you're the name above all names, Lord. And that is so important, I feel this morning, that you are that name above all names, We come with all sorts of things happening this week, in our personal lives, in our families, whatever situation it might be. And so often those things can cloud us, they can can guide us, they can lead us, but we declare again that you are the name above all names, all situations, all circumstances. You are most worthy of our praise. We want to see you this morning, whether it's at home, whether it's here, We want to have hearts that are humbled and open. We want to quieten our minds. We want to remove distractions. We want to lift our voices as much as we can to you. We want to lift our hearts to you this morning in worship and in praise. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us today, we pray in your name. Amen.
2: Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of a hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakir, son of Imri, built built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassaniah. They laid its beams and put its doors, bolts, and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hazok, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshexelabel, made repairs, and next to him Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to work under their supervisors. The Jeshaniah gate was repaired by Joadiah, son of Pesiah and Meshelam, son of Bessadiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men of Gibeon, and Zippah, Melatiah, son of Gibeon, and Jardan of Meranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uzael, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section, and Henaniah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of the next district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Heromaphat, <laughs> Heromaphat, Uh, made repairs opposite his house, and Hittish, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim, and Hashab, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section and the tower tower of the ovens. Shalom, son of Helalelash, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. It's enough of trying to pronounce the Hebrew names... So, in in summary, <laughs> in summary, for the next twenty verses, um, the walls of Jerusalem between the following places were repaired and rebuilt: the Valley Gate, Dung Gate, Fountain Gate, the wall of the Pool of Siloam the tower protruding from the upper palace, the water gate, the horse gate, the inspection gate, and the sheep gate. The whole community came together, whatever their trade, skill set, or status, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and took ownership for their part in it.
0: Brilliant. Morning. Do you know, don't you just love readings that make you wanna follow Jesus more? I, I just love that. Just, you don't see those verses on many fridge magnets. That's, that's my only thing. But you know, if, if one of the great 316s of the Bible is 2 Timothy 3.16, and, and Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And he was thinking of the Old Testament at the time, including Nehemiah 3. So uh, just, just saying, okay. Good morning. My name is Keith, by the way. I need to introduce myself. Um, I'm serving here at Waypoint, and it's great to be with you. I think it's important to pray. Especially after a reading like that, brilliant by the way, but it's great, isn't it? Because maybe you're thinking, well, what on earth is the Lord going to say to me today? But be absolutely certain the Lord is going to speak. It's no accident you're here, it's no accident you're watching, whether it's uh, right now, on, uh, live or, or later, whatever that might be. So don't we need the spirit of truth, as Jesus said, to, to open up his word for us and let's just pray. Yeah, Lord, we thank you. For this, your word, we thank you, Lord, that it's real. It's not some kind of fairy tale. And we thank you that we don't have to guess, as I often pray, how it is you'd have us live. And we thank you for this amazing book, Nehemiah, that you've preserved for your people. That in so many ways, as a church, even now globally and locally here, we can shadow as we try and discover what it means to be God's gathered people again. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, in only the way you can, that you would visit us, tired hearts, perhaps anxious hearts, those uncertain about if they'll ever recover what they had, those not wanting what they had, those uncertain about you even, uncertain about church, about what it means to be your people, for those grieving, for those hurting. Lord, we pray that you would come, we pray even as we speak today, as we listen, Lord, that you take away any words of the speaker, that's what is left, of those gems, those diamonds of truth that only you can leave in our darkest recesses of our soul. And I pray, as Jesus called us to be, that we'll be hearers and doers of your truth. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I Kind of intrigued and amazed, uh, listening to different people's views about how they feel about coming back to the to the gathering, and 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 everyone is valid without a doubt. There are those who just can't wait, and I might put some of you in there. I guess if you're here regularly and you're right there Monday morning booking straight away at nine o'clock, you just couldn't wait to see other people. And I guess that's, that's, that's many of us. I, I just found the whole thing. I remember going back to the first service in, in Coventry and I was wondering what it'd be like when they just told me all these things that I couldn't do. And I wanted to cry. You're not allowed to sing, you can't hug each other, you can't do stuff. And I thought, well, what's the point of going? But I remember as soon as the group the band struck the first chord, it was kind of moving. Because there's something so special that happens when God's people gather together. Something supernatural and something so amazing. And so I was kind of one of those, you might call it in change management theory, early adopters. Those who say, let's do it now. But there's so many people. Quite validly and understandably that I'm thinking, well, you know, I can't sing. Maybe I, I want to wait until I can really worship God. Can't you wait? You can't wait to really stand up. Just me then. <laughs> Anyone else? Anyone else? Bless you. Good. You know, those may be waiting and watching and all wondering what it's going to be like for us to be God's gathered people. Again, and to help us consider this, Mark started this a couple of weeks ago. You might have noticed we started a new series called Rebuilding. And what better book than the book of Nehemiah from the Old Testament? Because it's shadowing of people and what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be shadowing a few people in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah asking exactly the same questions. They've been given the green light to go back. Yet they're a bit reluctant some of them really reluctant. I don't know if you had a, a whistle-stop tour of this or you know this book, but you might recall that in 587 BC in HQ, in the HQ of worship in Jerusalem, they had a most amazing temple and it was ransacked by the Babylonians. And you know, they'd had warning after warning after warning that if you don't change your ways as God's people, I'm going to take that away. You know, the prophetic voices of Jeremiah and and others would come into this group of God's people who were doing church and felt that if they just stayed in church and said, well, it doesn't matter, this is the temple of the law, the temple of the Lord, what can anybody do to us? And Jeremiah said, no way. You cannot live like you live and expect just to get away with it. And so, true to God's word, 70 years, what happened in 587 BC is the Babylonians stormed the place. And you know what I've been thinking about And this kind of isn't on the notes, it's just kind of off. And I've got to ask myself with global church, how we were doing church. Global, I'm not talking waypoint, we're in that. When it came to a year and a half ago, the pandemic, where were the prophetic voices in the church? I'm just saying... Because if we're not listening to the God, we just do rooting and say, what can man do to us? I just want to get back to normal, whatever that is. If that was it, where were the voices that were saying to us, do you know, come on. This is about the kingdom of God. It's not about you. Where was those voices? Was I like this so busy? Just saying. And do you know, as we return, I'm scared that we're going to carry on saying, I just want to get back to what I did. Of course, that is normal. But I don't want to miss the prophetic voice that says, No, you need to listen, church, because these are the last days, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to do a great work, and I'll need to use you in the kingdom in my building, not just your own projects. Is that fair? Has anyone got that? No one's got it. Three people. Do you know we're in good shape? Jesus only had 12. That's okay. But you know, after, true to his word, after 70 years, the Babylonians got kicked out of superpower by a new superpower, the Persians. And the Persians had a different kind of policy with immigration. And they said to all the diaspora groups, including the Jewish people, you can all go home. It's good. We don't want to hassle the admin. Go back. And so, in about three weeks, they all piled onto national coaches and were all back in Jerusalem. Try 90 to 100 years to go back. Now, if you're thinking of waiting that long, uh, I just will ask you to pray about that. But you see, what happened was, it was in bits and bobs. So Zerubbabel, if you read the first six chapters of the book of Ezra, in the Jewish scriptures, Ezra and Nehemiah, one book. If you read uh, Ezra 1 to 6, that was the first group. About a year after the green light, they said, yeah, we're going to go and build a temple. Zerubbabel led that about 60 plus so years later. These are really not exactly the early majority, are they? Ezra leads the reforms and says we need to get back to God's word. That's always a good thing. And Nehemiah is the third lot, 13 years after Ezra, which is what we're looking at now. These are what you'd call in change management theory, and I hate the word, the laggards. The people who just wanted it all to be there. But actually what it is, is we know different because God has spoken to Nehemiah and said, he's put it in my heart. How many times did you see that when you read through? Could I encourage you to read all 13 chapters two or three times to get the gist? It's a narrative. It might not feel like a narrative with a list of names today, but it's a great story. And so we see here that the people were joining the people of Nehemiah as they come back to build the walls and the gates. And you know, I just wanted to say that at the beginning because it's valid that although we're coming back together slowly as a group of God's people, every response is valid and we are a collective of God's people. And so I really want to, in the light of this, go through. I think it'd be important to remind us uh, just how we've got this far. I've got about two hours, right, Jim? Don't panic, you're okay. But we saw in week one the need to say it as it is. I think I just have a little bit. But in week one, you see, Hannah and I came from Jerusalem and said to Nehemiah, it's a disaster. He didn't say, well, you know, there's a bit of work needs doing in Jerusalem. He said it as it was. And I think Mark said to us, didn't he? He said, he us to ask that question. How are you really doing? You know, I've got a a question that I really like. I used to encourage people I used to love and care for in Coventry about this question. I I have caused to sometimes go to the hospital. And I love hospital. Anyone else like hospital? Those who work there might like hospital, I don't know. You know, I, I, I like hospital because they ask very real questions. You know, Mark mentioned a couple of weeks ago, do you know, so often we can say, How are you? and we go, Oh, fine. It's a bit like Roger and out. You know, yeah, I'm okay. Don't want to tell you, really. But the question I love in hospital is, they don't really ask you how you are. They usually say something like, So what's wrong with you then? And, um, you know, oh, yeah, well, I'm in my army you now. I've got to see the consultant. I've got a blood test, whatever it might be. Yeah, I've never heard anyone in the waiting room at hospital saying, nothing, I just like this place, it's, you know, really nice building, people, it's so great, I don't hear them do that. There's an assumption in hospital that there's something not quite right with you, and you know, this place needs to be a hospital rather than a chapel, did you know that? Well, I can look at you and say, so what's wrong with you then? Don't get offended about that, I'm just assuming you're not perfect, is that Okay. And you can ask me that permission granted. Now, don't worry. Don't avoid me after the service. And you might need to get to know me a bit before you tell me what's really, really wrong with you. But it's so easy to do that. And so many people I've been speaking to have been struggling. Because what's happened is the, the construct of church... And by that, I mean everything we knew and loved and did, whether it's all the amazing teams here and we're trying to build that back together. When that gets stripped away, sometimes what it can reveal is what we really said yes to in the beginning. And when we looked at the Unashamed series, we mentioned the fact that, you know, the gospel we first responded to and said yes to, yes, Jesus, I want to do that. It determines the sort of disciples we are. And the gospel we communicate determines the sort of disciples we make. And sometimes, you know, and I feel sorry. I meet so many people who say, well, I don't know. I've not really got a testimony. I've been in church since I was an egg. And I kind of just got locked into the teams and all these sort of things. And um, those things get stripped away and all the rotors and everything goes. And uh, I'm meeting people now, grown-ups, physically anyway, who are saying, I do not know what my purpose is anymore. And so I think this is a beautiful time for us to really say, Lord, I want to get back to. I remember that old song, remember that, Jimmy? You know, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. When he wrote that song, he realized that he needed to strip away all the stuff that just was the show in his life. And I think we can apply that corporately too. And so, so many people are deconstructing. And that's not a, a bad thing if we're doing this together. And I've been today, In This Together. And so, if I say, what's wrong with you then? You say, well, I just not know where I, I don't know where I am with Jesus anymore. I need to know he's real. I need to know he's going to turn up on a Monday morning at work or in my neighborhood. That's great. Because the platform is so easy. What about the other 167 hours a week? And it's you and Jesus. And it's you and your home. And so we saw in chapter one the importance of having a crisis. See, without chapter one, I hate to be obvious, the second chapter of a story doesn't usually happen. Without chapter one, without a crisis, there's no chapter two new vision to say we need to have a vision. Lord, I need to get into what you're saying. What you're saying here. And so last week we heard from Mark that it takes courage, but courage coupled with prayer in all sorts of ways and big and small ways whether that's jumping out of planes or whatever it might have been he did and that's not isolated courage I've been uh, encouraged myself in my our first seven or eight months here to see the importance emerging importance of prayer the week we had with the 24-7 prayer and that would be great to see that happen more and more without prayer nothing happens we know that right do we know that oh good that's good. I will ask questions, by the way. It's just a pulse check. Is that okay? But you see, we saw last week that he got some early opposition, and next week it's really going to ramp up because the enemy is never going to give up. And so, chapter three today, I hope you were gripped as I was with that list of names, which was amazing. But you see, don't get put off. Can I just give a, a really a gentle tip? If you ever you read the Bible and you're going through a great narrative, whether it's, Gen- whether it's Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, or whether it might be the Gospels, and you come across a genealogy or a list of names, don't panic. What it tells me is this is about very real people. Because you don't get genealogies or list of names in fairy tales. So all the people who want to kind of trash Genesis and say, well, you know, Genesis 1, the creation story, and the fall, and then Cain and Abel. But you've got Genesis 5, which is a list of names. And, you know, even Paul in Romans talks about Adam, uh, you know, Jesus being the second Adam. He never compares Jesus to Mickey Mouse. Okay, get over it. And so when we see a list of names in the Bible, that just stops the narrative. It might spoil it for you, but what we can say is, whoa. Whoa. This is about real people. So at the moment, it's a great story. We could make Nehemiah a hero. He's an administrator. He's a cupbearer to the king. He's not a prophet, priest, or king, which was unusual. God uses all of us. But Nehemiah, you see, he gets all these people, and it's very real people. Malkijah, what a great name. And you see, what this said to me, and I was really praying this week, Lord, what are you saying? What can I get from a list of names of just regular people who all came back to build? Well, I love it because what it says to me is, first of all, we can all play our part as we return and get involved in God's kingdom project. And for many of you, that will, that will look like this in this building, but not for all of you. See, the people's response was one of resolve to start building. And did you notice in chapter 3, it started with the, with the priesthood. It started with the leadership. The priests started the building. They're listed first. It's got to happen there. The service of God's people has got to start with the leadership. I, there's no point me talking on a platform about being a disciple maker or being someone who shares Jesus if I'm not going to do it myself. Because Paul can say to all of his congregations, whatever you've seen in me, put it into practice. Right? And so we see that in in Nehemiah 3. He says, the priest started building. And there's all these gates. There are 10 gates listed. Brilliant. The Dung Gate, that sounds great, doesn't it? All the different gates. Sheep Gate, the Fish Gate, that was done on quite a big scale. Thank you. Uh, You looked a bit bored. I will do that. There's all sorts of gates, and there's 10 gates, okay, being built. And this would be absolutely easily applied in a church setting like this, as we all look to come back together. This is so easy to apply on a very, 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 very important but cosmetic level. Let me do that right now. Preach one. We really need to replace these 10 gates with 10 ministries, We are struggling in lots of areas. This is true. What about the youth ministry or the the worship or or the the elderly ministry? These are all amazing, aren't they? Amazing, great, good people. No one wants to take that. But if our only single focused application would be that, to say, well, so what we've got to do, instead of build the 10 gates together, we have to come back as soon as we can and just build up everything we've ever done before, and that's all we're going to do. We've missed the total point of this, of this whole book, in fact, the whole of Scripture, to be quite frank. Because I hate to say this, but it's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God, and he calls us into his grand meta-narrative, his big project, which includes this beautiful place, which we're growing very fond of very quickly. And that will be such an easy thing. And yes, we do need more people helping in the cafe, and it's great because the coffee is amazing, and uh, I've got to watch it because I'm spending about £200 a month in that place if I'm not careful. <laughs> Yet the people here are involved in something far grander and greater. See, God calls us to have a kingdom-building mindset, to take our place in the postcode, in our sphere of influence where he has called us, in the workplace, in our streets, and in our schools. I just love this reading. Did you notice that some of the people, they had to build where they were outside of their houses. It wasn't all about going somewhere else to serve. They had to go and build, and they built outside of their house and next to them. Did you notice that continually? And next to him, and next to them, and next to them. And they were building outside of their house, and some people did more than one repair. Wasn't that good? God gave them the capacity and the time. But all of us can get involved because if all I do is I translate 10 gates into 10 ministries, all I do is I make God the God of a church program, and He's much bigger than that. He is a world class deity. He is amazing. Thank you. He's much grander than that. Do you know it was interesting a couple of weeks or so ago, it might have been three, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember, Jim, actually. When was that leadership thingy? That's a word, isn't it? Yeah, well, tell me, remind me the name, this is a really long conversation, come on it's a gap, we're, on, we're live. Learning. learning Communities, there you go, that's why I got it wrong. Learning Communities, what this does is, they, they stop you, basic Learning Communities is where the leadership every three or four months get together, and it basically, even though we don't do this, it kind of stops you counting the paper clips, and so it really gets you to think larger than what you're doing. And one of it was about how are you as, as, as a mission church, a missional church, how do you reach out? How, do you, how does that look? And we got onto this conversation, which is relevant to this passage. What about people who cannot actually come to this building very often? What if people can't do that? And you know, I've been so thrilled with the Unashamed series, and I know Jim has as well, and, and others. People have been emailing saying, but this is my scenario. And, I, I, you know, every time I hear a preach, I might interpret that as you've got to come and help more and work harder in church. But I can't because I work from 7 a.m. through to 7 p.m., and I'm so tired, and it's just life, is just really tough. And I'm on shifts, and I can't do this. And, and, so, and so I pose the question, if this was an essay question, are people who cannot serve in the church program really so useless to the kingdom of God? Discuss. The answer is no, by the way, you are so not useless because God wants to take every gift you've got. And if you're 40, 50 hours a week in the staff room, he's beautifully put you there and he wants you to shine for him and be an ambassador for him. And our role then becomes about equipping you to be the best you can be in that context. Does that sound okay? I think so. See, I could get excited about that. What a question that is. That'd be a great essay question. I might actually write the essay that. I don't know. Discussing your life group at home over your dinner. Are people who cannot serve in the church program really so useless to the kingdom of God? Wow, that's a little bit pokey, isn't it? I like that sort of thing. Maybe you have to lay in a dark room afterwards, I don't know. But you see, we can all play our part. And you know, you might say, well, you know, this is my season of being a nanny. A grandma, a granddad, Beautiful. Share and pray Jesus with those guys. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy's a pastor at Ephesus. He's a pastor now. Wasn't always. He was a little boy. And Paul said, Do you remember when your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, you learned your faith from those beautiful people, Timothy? It's got to start somewhere. You are part of the kingdom of God, whatever your role and call in life, for sure. Don't ever let anyone belittle it because it's not on this stage. Or not in a kind of place, or wherever it might be, or you're not paid to be a Christian, whatever that looks like. Second, I'll be short on this one. What I love about this, whatever our past failings, we can all start to build again. Do you know, I meet so many people who disqualify themselves from serving, they disqualify themselves. You know, I've stuffed up in the past. It's not been easy. And you know, amongst the workers here on the wall, in verse 11, it says that Malkijar, son of Harim and someone else, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. Good old Malkijar. Isn't that brilliant verse that. Oh, should I explain it? that help? So amongst the workers on this wall with a new zeal for God's work was this guy, he was called Malkijar. Verse 11, Nehemiah 3. Now he was, let's use a longer word, lambasted, roasted. A few years before, by Ezra. It was really bad, you know, Ezra came back fetching his previous with a group of people and what happened was, it was a bit messy. They started intermarrying with other people from, who were not Jewish, and that was really difficult then, and they were saying, this is not good. And so Melchizedek wasn't on his own. You know, it was something great and corporate about us all doing stuff wrong. But it was, um, yeah, he basically was dragged in front of the whole place, publicly humiliated. Ezra 1031. Look it up. It's just a name. It's a few Malchijah, so that, that's the one he was. But he was completely and publicly humiliated for intermarrying outside of God's people. And he must have felt terrible. He really must have. But here he was again in verse 11 of Nehemiah 3. Whatever's happened, whatever's gone on, it says that Malkijah was repairing that part of the wall and the tower of the ovens. Because it's always possible with God to start again. And if maybe you've disqualified yourself, you're watching this at home or wherever you are, or in this today saying, I could never serve because, because, because. And that can I say, that's the enemy who will say that to you. Because his grace is sufficient to say, come on, just get on with it. Thank you. Whatever your royal mess-up, God is able to use you. Don't, I love it with uh, Peter, don't you? Peter was never going to mess up, was he? He didn't think much of his mates either. Even if all these lot let you down, I'm never going to let you down, Jesus. <laughs> Great, wasn't it? Yeah, you will, three times. And I just love one of my favorite sections of Scripture in John 21, when the Lord sees Peter. And says, come on, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Get on with it, Peter. God is not fazed by our crisis, our deconstruction, our mess-ups. He just says, come on, let's get on with this. You know, the book of Romans is considered to be probably one of the Apostle Paul's most profound theological pieces of work most commentators would say, yes, that's probably true. Wonderful themes, complex, some fearful of preaching on it. And then almost towards the middle, chapter 7 of the 16 chapters, Paul has this kind of conversation with himself and says you know in, it's about all the theology and all the justification of my faith and all what I know about this you know there's things I do that I know I shouldn't do there's things that I know I should do and I I don't do and in Romans 7 he says I can't believe it and he goes around in this huge circle and says you know I, I just do this stuff I need rescuing from this body of death who will rescue me praise me to the, to the Lord Jesus And what that spoke to me in that most profound book, that most amazing work from Paul, you know what, this is really important. It is totally possible to have a complete meltdown in the middle of some of our greatest work for God. And he's not going to be phased by that. You see, we don't have to be defined by our mess-ups everything you've faced in your life up to now has shaped you, that is for sure, including those things you're not very proud of. But they do not have to define you in Jesus. Sure, they've shaped you, but they do not have to define you. I'm bringing this down to encourage you. You know, when I served in, um, as an associate in a church in Portsmouth many years ago, I had a pastor who had a great phrase for fear, Mark spoke about fear last week, didn't he? It's always there. There's nothing wrong. It's just there. You've got to acknowledge it. But the pastor I serve, who had an acronym for fear, false evidence appearing as real. I like that. Because the enemy will come and say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You rubbish at that. You fail there. You fail there. You know, the enemy will come with fear and keep you on the floor. But you know, it's false evidence appearing as real. Because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And Paul says, actually, the weaker the better to the Corinthian church. He says, you know, I want, to, I want to use you because you're so weak. Because it's in your very weakness that your strength, in my strength, is made perfect. And I'm making that. I'm using weak and feeble and people who, who are not. So that no person can boast. He's used because he's got a theology degree. He's used because he's really smart. He's used because he's really good at sport. He's, she's used because she's whatever. No. We need to start believing Jesus when he says, without me you can do nothing. Nada. So, whatever our approach, as we come to close our time together and sing again, whatever our approach to being God's gathered again, whether we are in the early adopters, was there a babble in the crowd here frustrated? But it's great to be here, well done. Or just not sure, just looking. Whether we're just glad to be back. Or those who cautiously return bit by bit later. All of us need to be in this together. Building, even if it's outside our house, whatever it might be, or wherever it is, just read Nehemiah 3 again with new eyes. See where they build. We need to be in this together. Building next to each other, and next to him, and next to them, and next to him, and next to them. Wherever and whatever kingdom sphere that looks like. And past failures do not disqualify us from building. That's cool. I like that. Anyone else like that? No one likes it. Okay. I tried. I I really thought that that was okay, actually. Thank you. Half... That's really good. Someone likes it. It's great, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Amazing grace. You know why D.Y. Newton wrote Amazing Grace? Who used to sell people who was a slave trader, the ugliest trader almost in the world, and he says when he found out and Jesus saved him, he reads this song. And when he realizes the depth to which he's been forgiven, come on church, he says amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a race like me. Isn't that amazing? That's right. Woo. Is that a reaction better? I like that. Yeah, you can start using me again. I'm a failure. Yeah, it's okay. Next. No, amazing grace. Right? Because we're going to see we need to be in this together with our failures and all that stuff. Because in the coming chapters, in fact, next week, there is an enemy of souls who wants to stop everything that is good and everything that is God in your life and in the life of this church and in the life of his global church. And he's going to do everything to try and do that and paralyze that with fear and everything else. And Paul tells us really well that Satan, he prowls around like a roaring lion to see who he can devour. And he will do that in an isolated way. We need to come together. Who have you not spoke to for a while? Just ring them up. Send them a note. How are you doing? What's wrong with you then? Whatever question you want to do. And like here, side by side with our quirks and faults, We're going to need each other as we enter this next chapter as we return to be God's gathered people again. I just want to conclude that it would be a miss of me. Maybe you're watching this or you're here thinking what on earth is he talking about? I've never started building. I don't know what the kingdom of God is. I've never started building and walking with Jesus. Well, you were made to do that. That's why you've got to Cross shaped gap in your life. You were made for a relationship with God, to turn from your own ways and to build His way. That's how you were made. But our own selfish way means that we have gone our own way. And that rebellion has separated us from God, but God Himself fashioned a plan to reverse that, the great reversal. And it culminated at the cross of Christ, where He conquered death and hell and sin. Yet he didn't just give us a ticket to heaven when we said, now, Lord, I want to follow your way. He said, I want you to come, and I want want you to follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Follow me. Go my direction. I'm going to make you. It's going to involve transformation, fishers of men, people who go about my business, Mark 117. This is about total transformation. And then when we come to him and say, I'm yours, he says, right, take your place in the wall, in the kingdom of God. Start building for me. And because one day I'm coming back and then the kingdom of this world is going to be, going to be a kingdom of, of me, says Jesus. When the angels declare the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and his Messiah. Wow, Revelation 11, I can't wait. So I appeal to you to come to Christ today the one who's made it possible, the one who knocks down all the barriers and the walls of your life and failures and says, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, people after my work. Would you pray with me as the music group come back and we're going to just listen to what the Spirit does if you feel you need some prayer or we'd love to do that. And uh, I pray that the Lord will just take away anything that's not from Him. And uh, Yeah, let's just pray together. Just bow our heads. Maybe just have a A few moments silence in our own hearts to start with. Maybe bring those failures that the enemy points at, maybe the anxieties, and say, Lord, how can I build for you where you've placed me in my kingdom sphere? Let's just pray together. Yes, Lord, we thank you for this, your word of truth. Lord, we acknowledge that we get weary. Our vision is narrow. We don't hear your voice. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come, would you? Show me my part, Lord. I'm sick of wrestling to the floor. Lord, I want to hear from you. I want to know where it is you've had me serve you. I want to come to you. I want you to be real, Lord. I don't want it to be teaching, I don't want it to be in my mind alone. Holy Spirit, would you just search the darkest recesses of my life? Thank you for your amazing grace that you call me again to start building. I may not know what it looks like today, but Lord, I trust you. I want to follow you. For those who are sad still, arrested by all the struggles of life, Lord, I lift my eyes to the hills to see where my help comes from. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, he will not let your foot slip. He watches over his people, neither slumbers nor sleeps. I thank you, you don't slumber or sleep means I can so would you come Holy Spirit now move amongst us may your grace be sufficient may I obediently respond to the call of my life in Jesus name